welcome to the new Creative Age podcast. My today's guest is a leading psychologist and world-class sports scientist. Having grown up in South Africa during apartheid and then working with top athletes for years, he noticed that sometimes during difficult conversations, people are shouting but not listening. This inspired my guest to write a book called 10 Rules for Talking. In the age of coronavirus, Brexit and protests against racial injustice, we could surely benefit from the ability to move discussions forward. But how to achieve that? Well, let's find out with our guest. Tim Harkness, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Ella. Very nice to be here. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, very good, thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, how uh, has the lockdown been for you? Well, you know, it's when the lockdown started, we obviously work with quite, we're in touch with quite a lot of people with the sports teams that we're involved in. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we asked a lot of people is we asked everybody to contribute to a, a group video mm-hmm. where everybody would ask the question, uh, what is something that you're finding particularly tough? What is a silver lining? And what is a piece of advice that you have? And what was so interesting about the responses that we got from maybe 30 or 40 people is how similar their experience was for everybody. Mm. And, you know, when we spoke about what do you find tough, just about everybody said it's the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. What's the silver lining? More time with your family, more time at home. And what's a piece of advice? Routine. So, you know, I, I think for me, it, for sure, it's been, I've never had anything like this in my life before. So in that way, it's unique. But in another way, it's an experience that I share with just about everybody else on the planet. Mm, that's so interesting. Um, during the lockdown, obviously, we were pushed into more difficult situation, perhaps with our loved ones, because obviously right. having more time uh, with family, perhaps with um, friends or flatmates, if somebody is flat sharing, um, uh, that forced us to, well, negotiate sometimes. So can you tell us what are the three errors that we are making whilst making a conversation? Yes, yes. Because, you know, so much of the time when we talk, talking is easy. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when the pressure rises, talking becomes more difficult. And this is when we can become inclined to make really one of three basic errors. So the first basic error is when I feel that my needs are not being respected. Mm -hmm. So if we take something quite simple, like deciding who does the vacuuming or deciding, and and I'm sorry, I, I said quite simple. These are not really simple issues because if they were, we wouldn't be discussing them again and again. Mm -hmm. But if I were to discuss something around who does the vacuuming, who does the housework, how much housework do we do? One of the reasons why a conversation fails is if I feel that somebody is not respecting my needs. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So if I feel that I have a particular need, I have a particular need either that the house is tidy, maybe I've got a particular need that, um, that I need to go for a run, I have a particular need that I need to be on a, um, a Zoom call, and if I feel that in that discussion around doing the vacuuming, that need is not being respected, then that conversation is going to start, is going to be at risk. Mm-hmm. So that's the first reason for a conversation to fail. If anybody in that conversation feels that their need is not being respected. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. Yes. And, and that's one of the challenges, because if my need 
is for a clean kitchen, but my partner's need is for a business meeting, then how do we both make sure that both of our needs are being respected? And that really is the challenge of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I would be very interested to hear the solution, but let's let's go to the point two. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And we'll get onto the rules in a little while because there are a few rules that, that relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, then the, the second need is that I've got to feel that I am being respected as a person and that my group is being respected. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned racial justice. Yeah. And one of the difficulties that white people have, some white people have, with acknowledging something like Black Lives Matter is that they feel that if they were they to acknowledge that there is racial injustice, it directly implies that white people have committed some moral affront. Right. And they interpret racial injustice as being a criticism of either themselves or their racial identity. Wow, that's so clever. Yes, makes sense. And when people feel that they are being criticized or judged in terms of their identity or their values, that's when the conversation becomes very difficult as well. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason for a conversation to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the third reason for a conversation to fail is what I call the papaya banana problem. Oh, I love the name. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll try and explain it. And, you know, if, if you and I were building a house, mm-hmm. but all we had to build the house was you had a, a truckload of papayas and I had a truckload of bananas. And we we're trying to build a house out of papayas and bananas. And we started to argue and we started, I started to say, you know, the problem is that your papayas are just not good for building a house. And you were saying to me, the problem is that your bananas are not good material for building a house. But really, the real problem is that you can't build a house out of papayas or bananas. Mm-hmm. And there's some conversations where you need hard facts. Mm-hmm. And unless you have those hard facts, you can't get to an agreement. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think something like uh, the Brexit negotiations, for example, um, even uh, some of the early lockdown discussions, we actually just need hard facts. Mm-hmm. In terms of the Brexit negotiations, what are the objectives of Brexit? What are the economic predictions? What are the, the social implications? And how do we express that in terms of numbers of people who are going to be affected and how much they're going to be affected? It can't be a case of, well, um, you know, let's take back control. Let's uh, get our sovereignty back. um, Let's not fly the white flag. Let's not be bullied. Because those kinds of expressions, while colorful, are metaphorical. And they fit more into the papaya banana problem in that they're squashy and malleable Mm -hmm. rather than being objective facts that can be measured and are precise. Mm-hmm. And that's the third reason why a conversation co- can go wrong is where we're trying to build a conversation out of something that is not um, good construction material. That makes total sense. So is there any of the arrows more common than the other? I think it really depends on, first of all, uh, what kind of conversation you're having. Mm-hmm. And secondly, what kind of talker you are. Mm-hmm. So different people tend to make different errors in their conversations. But the interesting thing is that 
So if if you take, do you know Piers Morgan, for example? Yeah, yeah. So so Piers Morgan, one of the things that he does is he tends to escalate. Okay. So he tends to make things a big deal. Okay. So if you were to walk past Piers Morgan and you were to stand on his toe, he wouldn't just go, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a toe. He would go, you stood on my foot. What do you mean? Were you not paying attention? Don't you respect me? Don't you know how important my foot is to me? Oh, right, yeah. And he's going to be escalating the situation. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes we do need to escalate the situation. Yeah. So, for example, with racial injustice, mm-hmm. for many years, racial injustice is something that people have not paid attention to. Yeah. And one of the points of Black Lives Matter is to escalate the attention that we pay to this problem in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there are other times where escalation makes the situation worse. Mm-hmm. So were somebody genuinely to stand on my toe by accident, it's probably best that I don't escalate. Right, yeah. That I just take it for what it is, because it was just an accident, it wasn't meant, and let's not make any more of it than that. Mm-hmm. And even when it comes to, for example, how some people respond to racial injustice, that when we talk about systemic racism, mm-hmm. we're not saying that individual people are morally at fault for the system. Mm-hmm. So we're actually, while we're escalating the, the, the problem itself, we're de-escalating the causes of the problem. Oh, I see. We're not saying we're marching around looking for people to blame. We're not marching around looking for bad people. So we've got a, a balance of escalating the awareness of the problem, but we're not looking to escalate the blame for the problem. Mm, I see. I see. That's 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 a very very interesting point. So, uh, moving to the solutions. So the, you put together ten rules for talking. I will. That's right. I will yes. read them now. Uh, so the rule number one is agree what you are talking for. Number two. Yes. Accept that agreement takes skill and effort. Number three, remember most people are good, competent, and worthy of respect. Four, talk fast and slow. Five, keep the conversation safe. Six, use resilience. Seven, use rigor. Eight, use complexity. Nine, listen. Ten, reach out. Um, See, I I think most of them are... uh, quite easy to understand because obviously uh, it's obviously it will pwn a problem if we don't respect uh, the person who we're talking to or think that the person is not competent or or good (laughs) Uh, so so that's that's quite quite easy to understand however what is talk fast and slow yes you know talk fast and slow is that we experience ourselves in in one of two ways. So sometimes as human beings, we operate automatically. We just really run on instinct. So you might have a a conversation with a friend sometimes where you're just talking and the conversation is flowing and you're not actually planning the next words that are coming out of your mouth. You just say what you feel and the, the, the words emerge spontaneously and naturally. Mm-hmm. And 
this allows you to be creative. It allows you to be funny. It allows you to be emotional. Sometimes you may uh, need to express uh, anxiety. You may need to express sorrow. But this is a very natural way to talk, and it's a very human way to talk. Mm-hmm. And there are times when this is the best form of talking. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, you and I right now are talking in a fairly fast kind of way, that, that we're, we're not really planning exactly each single sentence that we're going to be saying to each other. Mm-hmm. But as human beings, we have another side to us also. And this is a more deliberate, conscious, um, careful side. And this is when we check up on our working. So it's almost the difference between doing uh, your times tables in your head or doing long division by writing down a sum on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And that is the fast talking is when we're just talking naturally and automatically, whereas the slow talking is when we really think carefully about what it is that we're saying and we seek to apply rules. Mm -hmm. And there's some situations where fast talking is better, but there's some situations where slow talking is better. Mm -hmm. And in particular, when we find ourselves in disagreement, the temptation can be to talk faster and faster when actually the solution may be to slow it down and become more careful about what it is that we're saying. Oh, that's that's so interesting. Yeah. And uh, so are the rules applicable to just to individuals or to uh, social groups? Uh, so you've mentioned the um, yeah. problems with racism. So do you think that yes. a society, a group of people can act like uh, an individual? You know, it, it's such an interesting question. And it wasn't a question that I'd actually considered when I began to write the book. Mm-hmm. When I started writing the book, I thought the rules were really just for individuals. Mm -hmm. But as I worked on the topics, I started to think more and more that these rules can apply to societies also. Mm, That when we talk publicly or when groups of people talk to other groups of people, some of the rules become even more important. So... For example, when we're talking to our friends or when we're talking to our colleagues or when we've got somebody sitting right in front of us, it's a lot easier to remember that that human being sitting right in front of you is a good human being and they're competent and they're worthy of respect. Mm-hmm. But that rule becomes a very important rule when we're talking to people at a distance from us or who belong to another group from us. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I see. And uh, you've mentioned that there are also uh, different kinds of talkers. Um, yes. Can you, can you tell us what kind of talkers uh, you identified in your research? Yes. And if, if that so, that's also applies to individuals and uh, social and groups. groups. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, you, you're asking me some questions that I've, I've, I've not thought about that one in, in relation to social groups, but I, let, let me consider that. But I'll, mm-hmm. first of all, I'll, I'll take you through what I consider to be the different kinds of talkers. So we already mentioned that some people tend to escalate. Mm-hmm. So they tend to make a, a bigger deal out of something than, than maybe it initially appears. And sometimes that's correct and sometimes it's incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, a second kind of talker is somebody who tells stories mm-hmm. so if and and for me a, a classic example of this is boris johnson 
Oh, okay. <laughs> who, he's a natural storyteller. Mm-hmm. So instead of the, there was a time when he wanted to criticize uh, Theresa May because she wasn't, he felt wasn't being sufficiently um, uh, aggressive in her uh, in her negotiation with the European Union, mm-hmm. and he said we we were uh, flying a white flag before we had even got into the meeting. Mm-hmm. And he spoke about the white flag fluttering in the breeze. And that's a vivid image. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a good story because people can relate to that. Yeah. The mm-hmm. problem is, though, what does it actually mean? Mm-hmm. And how would we measure, how would we know whether or someone really is flying a white flag or not? Mm-hmm. So while in some ways being a storyteller is very persuasive, in another way, it's not persuasive because if Theresa May were to say, no, I wasn't flying a white flag, well, how do you resolve that argument? Because it just ends up in a yes, you were, no, you weren't. And there's no objective way to actually tell whether the story is true or not. Yeah, of course. And the conversation will get stuck in one point and we can't move At, forward. Yes, absolutely. And, and then you're stuck and you're going nowhere and, and it just becomes unproductive and frustrating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the strength of the storyteller is that Sometimes it's very persuasive and it's compelling and we all enjoy stories. Mm-hmm. But in other ways, other times when there's disagreement, mm-hmm. storytelling is a not a good way to break through disagreement. Mm, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, the third kind of, of talker is the analyzer. Mm-hmm. And the analyzer is somebody who goes to the facts. The analyzer is someone who's good with the detail. So this is someone who uh, uses evidence. They've got a method for how they uh, discover things about the world and they draw logical conclusions from the observations that they have made. Mm-hmm. Is it a perfect talker or not really? <laughs> well, you know, again, th- that's, that's a very important question because in some ways it sounds like that is the perfect talker. Mm-hmm. And in some circumstances, that is the approach that you need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think if you were to say politicians, you'd probably go Keir Starmer is an analyzer, mm-hmm. that he's logical, he's detailed, and he knows the facts. Mm-hmm. Now, that is very powerful in some circumstances, but in other circumstances, he may find that he lacks the ability to draw people to him or to get people excited about his message right so crowds will not follow him not necessarily possibly possibly and and this is where and really what i'm saying about the types of talkers is that sometimes you need to be one type of talker and sometimes you need to be another kind of talker Mm. and you know if only we could have the best of boris johnson and the best of keir starmer all put together then we're actually really getting somewhere because we've got an analyst who's good with facts and can tell the stories that get people excited about those facts. Uh, I have a last question for you, Tim. Um, I know you are also um, a sport psychologist. Um, yes. What would you say uh, that was um, amongst uh, sport figures who have to be very motivated? How did they cope with the lockdown? You know, It, it, I did find it so interesting talking to athletes during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that surprised me was how quickly they adapted to their new lives. 
Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And these are people who live highly structured lives. Mm. They come into training at the same time every day. They're told what to do by the coach, and they they follow the training plan. When they play a match, they follow the tactical plan. Mm-hmm. These are people who are used to fitting into a system, and suddenly they found themselves at home. Um, you know, just them and their families. So some of them, you know, locked down, uh, uh, two parents, uh, three children, and they next thing they're not going to training anymore. They're busy homeschooling their kids, same as same as the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And what fascinated me is how quickly many of them were able to adapt. And the other thing is how much they appreciated just having the time to do something different, mm-hmm. because a uh, an athlete's life can be an extremely busy life. Yeah. Now, what I will say is one of the things that obviously made it easier for them is that some of these athletes don't have financial worries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, d- d- many normal people, one of the things that's really hard about the lockdown is what's happening to the economy and am I still going to have a job? And, you know, th- th- that's a legitimate concern. And when we're concerned about something, we have to pay attention to it because we want to try and solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And that was something that the uh, that the the a, a lot of the athletes that I spoke to, certainly the high profile athletes, um, that wasn't something they had to uh, worry about. Mm-hmm. But I'm just thinking about another athlete. He's actually a cricketer uh, that I work with, and he um, he plays cricket in Mumbai, and he has been training so hard. He's been working so hard and he's been locked down in Mumbai in his house for four months, but he's kept on training. Mm. Sometimes he plays cricket shots and he doesn't even have a cricket ball to play. He just stands there and pretends that he's playing the shot. Wow. And he heard a few days ago that the competition that he was practicing for has just been canceled. Oh, no. And that was so tough for him. And once again, he has to adapt. He has to find a new target, a new goal that is going to become meaningful to him. Mm-hmm. And I do think in some ways, because sport is a very fast moving situation, mm-hmm. athletes learn to adapt quickly. And maybe that is something that, you know, us normal people can try and learn from athletes is can we, can we adapt as quickly um, mm-hmm. to our different circumstances? Team, thank you so much for uh, talking us through your book. Uh, yeah. So many good pieces of advice, uh, and also what you said about uh, adapting, adapting to the to the new situation. I think a lot of people will benefit from uh, from uh, what you've just said. So, uh, can you tell us where people can find you, uh, your book, and uh, you on social media? Yes. I, well, first of all, my book uh, probably the easiest is to go onto Amazon mm-hmm. and search for Ten Rules for Talk on Amazon mm-hmm. and uh, it's available in paperback it's available in an audiobook and it's available on Kindle mm-hmm. um, so 10 rules for talking just find it on Amazon that's probably the easiest way and then if people would like to get in touch with me probably the best way to do it is on LinkedIn mm-hmm. um, and um, if they just search for my name Tim Harkness mm-hmm. and um, I'm fortunate to have a surname um, that's a a slightly obscure Scottish surname. So um, there, there are not too many Tim Harknesses around. So if you find someone with that name, it's probably me. Oh, amazing, amazing. So thank you again for, for joining us and for sharing the information about your book, giving us pieces of advice. That was great. Well, thanks so much for having me, Ella. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Tim.